you would, to Acts, the 19th chapter. We have some people here without the Holy Ghost who have been praying for the Holy Ghost, and I want to speak specifically to you in words of encouragement concerning this great and marvelous gift. Acts 19. And, of course, we'd like you to stand at the reading of the Word. Acts 19, verse 1 through 7. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which had come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. Praise God. You may be seated. <clears throat> we do have some people who are not here tonight that have not received the Holy Ghost, and I might just give you instructions concerning them that you should really pray and seek the Lord that God would fill them with the Holy Ghost. Now, Sister Fields is not here tonight. <clears throat> All right, she does work, and she uh, they change the bus schedule. Sister Fields is being taught Search for Truth by Sister Rowe, and she is such a wonderful lady. Uh, she was a Baptist lady who came to a knowledge of her need of baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, but so far she has not received the Holy Ghost. Is that right? And then, of course, last uh, weekend on Sunday night, we baptized uh, Dale and Bertha Dish, and neither one of them received the Holy Ghost. Now, Sister Dish in the tank there, if she had just let go a little bit more, she would have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Just a little bit more, but she just, you know, she knew it was coming, and she said, I don't know why I stopped, but I did. Just stopped short of receiving the Holy Ghost. And she's being taught now by Brother and Sister Sandon. All right. And by Brother and Sister Thomas. Okay. And uh, Nelson. Nelson. I keep saying Tom Nelson. What it is. I get that goofed up all the time. Okay. Brother and Sister Thomas. What about uh, Brother Gary Rubin? He hasn't been in church in the last few weeks. Some of you should call him. You should visit with them. You've been teaching him search for truth, but I think it's over with a long time ago. And he's not yet received the Holy Ghost. Did his wife receive the Holy Ghost? She did receive the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to spend a little time talking about this because sometimes we lose track. We don't encourage the people to come down and pray. Uh, and consequently, then we just kind of... Uh, you know, keep rejoicing over the fact that they're in the church but not really filled with the Holy Ghost. So you pray for them. Pray much for them that 
that the Lord would uh, would fill the Reubens, and also we'd like to see them in church. They need to be in church. Some of the most recent ones that we baptized, Sister Marjorie, that we were talking about, she received the Holy Ghost in the tank. Is that right? All right. And uh, Sister Jordan, did you receive the Holy Ghost? Yeah. Okay. She received the Holy Ghost, and she was baptized uh, back at 1st of December, wasn't it? Somewhere along there. All right. Now, both of these ladies work for Phillips. Sister Jordan works over on the east or south side, west-south. And Sister Marjorie works east. All right. Uh, Charlie was baptized and received the Holy Ghost when uh, he was baptized there. Now, who else? uh, Brother Ted, have you received the Holy Ghost yet? Not yet. We're going to have to pray that Brother Ted would receive the Holy Ghost. Brother Ted Schaefer is such a, a great young man, but he needs the Holy Ghost. And we're going to be talking about some of this tonight and giving you some instructions on how to receive the Holy Ghost. This could be the very night that uh, you would receive the Holy Ghost. And I know of no better night. Praise God. And Dave was down praying this morning. And good to see him back tonight. And seeing him worship the Lord. Praise God. Brother Perry Hicks, uh, have you received the Holy Ghost, Perry? You've spoken with tongues. That's what I thought. Uh, New ones who come in, you want to continue to encourage them not to receive the Holy Ghost, but to pray in the Spirit and give their self to the Lord. Now, I'm looking across the congregation. I don't know if anybody else was recently baptized that have Larry. Okay. Larry was baptized, but... He's not yet received the Holy Ghost. This would be a good night, Larry, for you to receive the Holy Ghost. A very good night for you to receive the Holy Ghost. Now, if we have anybody else here who's never been baptized in Jesus' name, uh, perhaps never repented of your sins, then then uh, you need to make a start for the Lord right now. The Bible tells us in Matthew 24, and we'll just turn back there and... And uh, talk a little bit from from the standpoint of the soon coming of the Lord. Matthew 24, verse 32. The Lord starts talking about the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, he putteth forth leaves. You know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. And, of course, this is talking about the, the uh, country or the nation of Israel. And, of course, Israel received her independence in May of 1948. Is that right? I could be wrong, but I believe it's May of 1948. And I definitely believe that the Lord is, is rebuilding that great nation. Now, it doesn't mean that all the Jews from all the world will move over there. I have some feelings about the 144,000. They go into a wilderness and hide there. And uh, I think that the Lord has pretty well hid the Jews to a degree in uh, in all the nations throughout the world. I'm not for sure they're all gathered there. And I, I have a tendency to believe, if you can accept that particular term, that there will not be 144,000 just go right out of Jerusalem into a place to hide there. 
but that they will be obscured in all nations throughout the world until such a time that God would want to bring them there. And for this reason, that they are sealed and death will not come to them. Now, you may, you may feel otherwise, but I have a feeling that's what the Scripture is talking about. But nevertheless, <clears throat> Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. I, I believe that what the Scripture is saying here, that, that the generation that sees these signs fulfilled will not pass until the remaining part of the signs are fulfilled. Israel, uh, in May of 1948, received her independence and became a nation. And I'm not for sure when we look in the Bible what a generation uh, is, or at least how many years. A lot of people say 30 years is a generation. Some say 33, some say 35. Now, if you put 35 years, uh, that puts 1983. That's the year we live in. Some people say a maximum of 40 years. I'm not for sure. I do know this, that the Bible does tell us, however... If you will look in verse 43, but this know that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. And then, of course, in 1 Peter 3, verse 10, there is a scripture also that makes reference to the, the Lord coming as a thief in the night. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, there is a reference made of Jesus coming as a thief in the night. Now somebody asked me this question. They said, does that mean that, that uh, the coming of the Lord is a thief in the night? Does that mean his coming back for the battle of Armageddon? I think in 1 Peter 3 it's talking about that. I personally think, however, in 1 Thessalonians... Five, it's talking about the second coming of the Lord in which the church will be raptured. I believe this term is used to denote both of his returns when he comes back to the church, when he comes back also for at the end of the tribulation period. I believe that the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ here, when he was born of, of Mary uh, in, and placed in Bethlehem's manger, he came as a thief in the night. The Jews did not really know that he had come. Even though the Old Testament prophecy spoke of his coming, and uh, they were looking for him because of the fact that they were not sincere and honest in their hearts, uh, they missed him. Only a handful of people knew that Jesus had arrived. Anna the prophetess, who was a widow, Simeon, who was uh, an elder high priest, uh, Mary and Joseph, Zacharias and Elizabeth, uh, who were the parents of John the Baptist, a few shepherds, and the wise men of the east were the only people that knew that Jesus Christ was here. And yet they had all studied the scripture and knew that uh, he was coming. In other words, he slipped upon them unawares. So I think this term, the thief in a night, can be referred to all of the comings of Jesus Christ from the time that he was born until the time 
that he will come back at the battle of Armageddon. But this I do know, that the Lord is actually slipping up on our world. Now, does that mean that Jesus Christ is going to intentionally try to tiptoe in and slip up on people? No, that's not it at all. In fact, uh, just the contrary. Uh, uh, there is a clarion call going through, forth throughout the world that Jesus is coming. In Matthew 25, the parable of the five wise and the five foolish, the Bible says at midnight, there was a cry made, go you out to meet him. And I believe that the church is making that cry today that Jesus is coming back. Then how will it be as a thief in the night? You see, God doesn't want anybody to perish. But as I preach this morning in our Sunday morning uh, Bible class here, because that men's hearts are darkened and because they have no knowledge of the truth, as loud and clear and as true as the signs are that he's coming back, and as loud and clear as we're trying to make the message, there are just a whole lot of people that just, they're not listening. That's it. They're not listening. Now, in Acts 19, the Bible makes it very plain that the Apostle Paul had run across some people who were worshiping God. They were worshiping God, I suppose, very similar to what we worship the Lord here. At least when Paul got to Ephesus, he no doubt heard of some of these people who were who were. Uh, praising the Lord and worshiping the Lord like the way that he praised the Lord and worshiped the Lord. I'm sure as Paul uh, came to the horizon seeing Ephesus, if you know anything about uh, the this city, uh, looking down that long winding road that goes down the hillside and seeing this mountain, uh, I say mountain, seeing this metropolis there, uh, no doubt uh, he heard the chantings of a lot of different religious people. This was where the goddess Diana shrine was, where people from all over the world came to worship the god of fertility. Uh, they probably uh, had uh, services around the clock, at least history says they did, in honor of this goddess. But when he reached uh, into that city, and he always went to where the people were and talked to the people who were worshiping false gods. No doubt somebody came up to him and said, Hey, uh, there's another group across town over here. Small group. Not a very big number. But uh, they sure make a lot of noise too. They know how to get with it. And so Paul went over there. Now I'm using my imagination a little bit if you'll allow me. But anyway, somehow he, he ran across them. He, he, he found them. Now, Paul's first question to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believe? Now, there's a lot of people that would criticize us for making such a big thing over the Holy Ghost. I have had some people say, why make such a big thing over such a little thing? Well, first place, the Spirit of the Lord is not a little thing. Now, as Brother Joe Hoffman said concerning the deity of Christ, if you consider the Holy Ghost as not being the Spirit of Christ, but something optional, and uh, consider that uh, God is perhaps a trinity or, or something, then naturally you will lessen the value of the Holy Ghost. But when you understand that there's only one body and one Spirit, then you must place much more emphasis on the Holy Ghost. Much more emphasis. The Bible tells us in Ephesians verse 4, if you want to turn there with me, Ephesians 4, 
Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He almost sounds like he's from Texas, doesn't he, Charlie? Okay. <clears throat> Praise God. But... <laughs> But he says there is there is one body and one spirit, even as your call in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. In other words, there's only one Father, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now he says that one spirit is in you. That one Father is in you. That one Lord is in you. Right inside of you. Now, some people believes that, believe that the Holy Ghost is the third person of the divine trinity. Now, <clears throat> you can't uh, in any way prove that by the scripture. There is only one God. Only one God. There is only one Lord. There is only one Lord. There is only one faith. There is only one baptism. Now look, you know, <clears throat> please understand that Brother Grant is just the preacher. You know, I'm not the Pope. I can't change it. See? <clears throat> I'm, just a, I'm just an apostolic preacher. That's all I am. <clears throat> Praise God. Heaven earth shall pass away. But the Bible says my word shall stand forever. Praise God. So I don't want to tamper with it. If you tamper with the word of God, you're getting in trouble. You know what the book of Revelation says. If any man added to these books, of him shall the plagues of this book be added. Now, I certainly wouldn't want God to heap judgment upon me as a result of trying to take away or add to the book. Praise God. It's as it is. And there's only one spirit. Only one spirit. And the reason why the Apostle Paul stressed the Holy Ghost is because he recognized that the Holy Ghost was the spirit of Jesus Christ. He recognized that. That Jesus Christ was the Savior that departed. He was the holy departed one. And the reason why they use the term spirit or ghost in this particular case, or in the King James Version they use the word ghost because he was the holy departed one. He sent back his ghost or his spirit. Jesus said, I am with you, but I shall be in you. Praise God. Praise God. Now, the reason why that we stress this is because that just because you've been baptized in Jesus' name, after repenting your sins, does not mean that you should reach the point in which you just settle back and just say, well, you know, everything's going to be all right. Because I have started. Now, I, I'm pretty sure that as people are receiving the Holy Ghost day by day by day, people are being baptized in Jesus' name, people are being filled with the Holy Ghost, that one of these days that the, the trumpet will blow when somebody is, is down repenting. Now, does that mean they're going to go up? Or they're not going to go up? Now, I, you know, I'm certainly not a judge. I can just tell you what the Bible says. 
But I can tell you in Romans the 8th chapter, and we'd like you to turn there. Romans the 8th chapter. Verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, you notice how he talks about the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And he says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, what he's doing, he's just taking for granted that the, these Romans, uh, uh, Christians, understand that, that, that God that dwells in them is, is Christ. He just takes that for granted. But now he does go so far as to say, now if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now what he's doing, he's just certainly mixing up terms here. He talks about God. He talks about the Spirit of Christ. And uh, he just mixes them up. Why? Because there's only one Spirit. He can make reference to one when he is speaking of a particular position or office in which God fulfilled. Turn around and make reference to another Spirit and use those terms interchangeably. See, God is one. And there's only one Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus, which was God the Creator. That's why the Bible says that all things were created by Him and for Him. And that's speaking of Jesus. That's why the Bible tells us in John 1 that uh, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and yet the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But my Bible makes it very plain that when Jesus comes back, that if the Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, that this will be your resurrecting power. Now, I'll tell you, after I was baptized, I could not wait until I received the Holy Ghost. Because I understood that repentance alone and the Holy Ghost was not salvation. While it may be a part of salvation, it did not complete the plan of salvation. And you know, we use the term plan of salvation. Why do we use the term plan of salvation? Because there is a precise plan, a blueprint, a pattern, a concept in which a man... Uh, goes through in which he is saved. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Christ died. He was buried. He arose. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we're saved by that gospel. Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ buried, was buried. Jesus Christ arose again. And we're saved by that gospel. And the same power that raised up Jesus must dwell in you. Romans, the sixth chapter, just identifies this so very much with our own personal experience. Just as Jesus died, so can we repent. 
So I want to start out by talking to you here. If you've repented, been baptized, but you haven't received the gift of the Holy Ghost and you've kind of just sat back for a while and you don't understand the importance of it, or perhaps you don't have the desire of it, did you know that your desire to serve God comes through repentance? I believe that. I remember talking to a young lady one time and she said, But Brother Grant, what if I don't have a desire? And you can't do anything without a desire. And what if I don't have a desire? I just plain don't have a desire. In my own mind, I'd like to do it. But I can't. I, I just don't have the desire to do it. I said, well, the truth of the matter is you haven't fully repented. You see, when you come forth for the first time at the altar and you repent, all of a sudden, you find that desire in your heart kindled. It's there. It burns like a fire. Second Corinthians, the seventh chapter. The Bible speaks of repentance and what it does. Second Corinthians 7.10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Let's say that together. To salvation. Let's say it again. To salvation. Not to be repented of or never to be regretted. But the sorrow... Of this world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing. That you sorrowed after a godly sor- sorrow. Sort. Pardon me. Godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. You. Yea what clearing of yourselves. Yea what indignation. Yea what fear. Yea what vehement desire. In other words when you repent. God puts a red hot desire in you. Now, I believe that every man who comes to God, when he repents, there is placed in him faith. There is a measure of faith given to all men. I don't believe there's any such thing as a Christian not having faith. Now, you may not have very much, and I think that faith grows like a seed. It grows like a plant. But when you first surrender your heart to God... If you don't do anything but just stand there and tremble and start, you feel His presence, start repenting, I believe that God automatically places faith in you. Automatically. You may say, well, what about the person that feels that God has not forgiven them and they can't get forgiveness and such? While it is true that we need to talk to them, I still believe that God places faith in them. And if we encourage them and give them the proper type of of direction, uh, instruction rather, uh, you'll find that faith to grow in in which they can believe that God will will forgive them. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. And you see, it's, it's the word of God that causes them to come. The word of God caused you to understand your need of Him. The word of God spoke to you inside. The word of God dealt with you. And faith cometh by hearing of that word. And when you hear that word, there's faith inside of you. So you respond to the Lord and you give your heart to the Lord. You're taken and you're baptized in Jesus' name. But because a week or two weeks or three weeks sometimes passes, you lose your desire. I've had a lot of people to just sit out while I preached about this, that, and the other. Even sometimes preached about hell and preached about heaven. Preach about people going there and burning forever. People about walk, talking about uh, people who walk on streets of gold. They just sit there. Then when the altar service is taking place, 
And everybody's praying and shouting the victory. They're just sitting back there. Nothing's happening inside of them. It's very apparent that they've lost their desire. Do you know what? I believe the reason why that Jesus Christ taught us to repent every day. And he did that. In, and when he taught us to pray, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For not thine art the power and the kingdom and the glory forever. I think the reason why he taught us to repent every day is because our desire, once the human flesh is out of the way. See, there is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. When we get the flesh out of the way, there's something about the inner man that desires. You see, he's cleared, he's, he's renewed, and he's questing after God, and he wants God. And may I also say this to all of you who've been filled with the Holy Ghost. If you reach the point in which you just don't desire to come to church, you don't desire to do what's right, you don't desire to pray, you don't desire to witness, you don't desire to testify, you don't desire to give to missions, you don't desire to do many things religious, it's simply because that you are not being honest with God every day and asking God to forgive you of all of your trespasses. Because when you understand that you cannot save yourself and you need God and you start asking God for help, you'll find that that that, that desire is created inside of you. So if you've been baptized in Jesus' name but not filled with the Holy Ghost, what you need to do is just get down tonight and really repent. I tell people every time you pray for the Holy Ghost, you need to repent all over again. You mean I've got to go back over all those things that I asked God to forgive me of way back to? No, if He's already forgiven you, you're not guilty of those anymore. It's just the things that you've done this past day and the day before and the day before. You may say, but what if I, uh, what if I can't think of anything that I've done? But you see, when Jesus prayed, he said, forgive us of our trespasses. He who knew no sin, neither was any guile ever found in his mouth, saw the extreme importance. You see, the reason why that Jesus was found altogether guiltless is because that he constantly emptied himself out in prayer to God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, not my will but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. He constantly prayed. And the Bible tells us in John 14, that when, not John, uh, yes, John 14, the Bible tells us that when, when Satan came to Jesus, that he found none of himself in the Lord. And that's an important thing. Why? Because he constantly emptied himself out. It was not there. He wouldn't let it build up. He wouldn't let it grow in him. Praise God. And so it was just void. It, it left him. Now that's something that's very, very important for you to understand. Praise God. Would you lift your hands and praise the Lord right now? Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Jesus, Lord, we love you. <clears throat> blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. 
Well, you see, when, when you come to the Lord and you begin to pray and you begin to weep and cry and ask for repentance all over again, and that's necessary. People do it every day if they're successful in their walk with God. Then as you begin to pray and, and all of a sudden you'll feel that this desire is built back up in you and, and you begin to reach out for the Lord and you begin to quest for God and you begin to feel for His Spirit, you see, then what happens? You will find a great liberty come over you. A great liberty come over you. And you know, I believe that people need to keep seeking for the Lord and, and, and feeling for God and they keep, and they need to keep repenting and, and such until they, until they feel this. Praise God. And they, they need to just keep this going until they feel the Spirit coming upon them. Praise God. Now maybe I can preach without competing, okay? So listen to me. <clears throat> now, when you begin to feel the Spirit of the Lord and you feel this liberty, take your liberty. That is necessary for you to understand. You need to take your liberty because there's something about humanity that if he doesn't take his liberty, then what happens is that he begins to uh, become introverted in his worship and he, he, he doesn't feel the freedom and such. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And God wants you to feel that liberty. Now, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you will speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. You will do that. You will, you will speak with other tongues. Now, you're not just trying to speak with tongues. You're, you want to receive the Holy Ghost. The tongues is the evidence. It's the sign, you know, that you have received it. But you know that you haven't until you do speak with tongues. So you don't just try to speak with tongues. You try to yield yourself or give yourself to the Lord. And this is the reason why that you need to, if you're down praying, you get cramps in your legs or whatever, you need to get up and you need to stand up or whatever. If you, if you can't just uh, kneel in one place, uh, you need to walk and feel free and, and praise the Lord and, 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 and get your liberty. Praise God. And you can do that. Now, I want to carefully say once again that if you can't feel this liberty, then what you need to do is just start repenting all over again. Well, I thought I already repented. Well, you know, if you've got bad habits and such, we're taking for granted you've already gotten rid of all of those. You know, if you're drinking alcoholic beverages, smoking cigarettes or whatever, well, well naturally, you know, uh, you're not going to get to first base in receiving the Holy Ghost if you understand that you ought not be doing that. See? While repentance is not spiritual perfection, people who understand they ought not be doing it, they're going to have to lay those things aside. For to whom much is given, much is required. If you have the knowledge you shouldn't do it, then don't do it anymore. See? But now after you've done this and you can't be free, why repent again? Because you're so self-conscious of yourself. You're afraid that somebody's going to look at me. I wonder what they're going to think when I get down in the floor and roll. I wonder what they're going to think when I hang from the chandeliers. I wonder what they think when, you know, and this is what they're thinking. See, you get this all in your mind. And this is the reason why you need to pray, not my will, O Lord, but thine be done. You need to empty yourself again and, and just fully surrender yourself to the Lord. Praise God, praise God, praise God. That's, that's so very, very important. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And you, and you want to make, and you, you know, you, you, you want to make sure 
that, that when you're praying that you just totally surrender. Don't be thinking about all the things you might have to do or have not to do or might not have to do to receive the Holy Ghost. Some people, they, they get this in their mind. It's a mind-boggling thing. In other words, what will I have to do to receive the Holy Ghost? I've got to be free. I've got to be, you know, totally uh, willing to just give myself to the Lord. Don't think about what God might uh, do to you or whatever. Just just give yourself to the Lord. Just worship Him freely. Praise God. Now, I found this out. You see, when Paul speaks of walking in the Spirit, and he speaks of walking in the flesh, Really what he's saying is that, that there, there, there are two sides of the fence. It's, it's like a bridge that connects two bodies of land. There's water running down between. And, and so you want to go from this, this land over here to this land. So that bridge is a bridge of faith. And when you begin to praise the Lord and take your liberty, you begin to cross over the bridge. Inasmuch that you are earthly, you have certain tendencies uh, that will come to you, and, and they're very natural. Now, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And what you must understand is that, that somewhere between the land of the flesh and the land of the Spirit, somewhere you're going to begin to lose sight of the other side. And you're going to gain sight of the other side. The side you came from, you lose that. And and when, the, when we sometimes talk about stammering lips, that's what we're talking about. You're not speaking in tongues altogether, but you're not in English either. You kind of get in between. You're on the bridge of faith. And when you receive the Lord, you will speak with tongues, but you'll receive the Holy Ghost when your faith is right, when you believe God that you will. So I tell people the best thing to do is, is don't pray these flowery, long prayers. You know, and now my Heavenly Father, I feel liberty and freedom. And I'm asking you to deliver me from this world of sin, just like you did Israel from the land of Egypt and so forth and so on. You know, if you know 129 scriptures, don't try to quote them all right then. In other words, just keep your mind on the Lord. And it's not so important what you say at that time. Why? Because you see, you've already cleaned up your heart. It's what's inside and what's not inside. You've emptied it all out. And so you just give yourself to the Lord freely. Praise God. Praise God. You don't worry about who's around you or what they're saying so much. You take their instruction. They receive the Holy Ghost. They know how to help you. They mean well. Receive that. And all of a sudden you'll find that when you cross this bridge of faith, you get a little mixed up and a little bit confused. Well, now you can stop and lick your lips and, and go back to the other side. See, that's the, that's the rules of the game. That when you, when, you, when you stop and you try to control yourself, you've got to go back and start all over again. So back to the, to the, to the flesh side again. And uh, here we go again. And we start praising the Lord. And you get about three-fourths of the way over. And your tongue gets a little thick. And you get a little bit confused, you know, as to what you're saying. And all of a sudden you gain your composure, lick your lips. You've got to start all over again. You've got to go back. <clears throat> And I think that I understand as much as anybody how this really works. The reason why is because, you see, uh, of all the times that I have worshipped the Lord, there have been very few times when I was just totally out in the Spirit and I didn't know what was happening around me. Now, some people, they feel that, uh, you know, that they, you know, they just get lost in the Spirit. Well, I have been drunken with the Spirit. I was still very much aware of what's going on. 
I try to keep my composure to a certain degree as pastor because, you know, there's a lot of things happening around here. Listen to me. There's a lot of things happening around here that I personally want to see. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, <laughs> so I'm saying that I understand this as much as anybody, see. You know, if you're running around the building, I want to see, you know. That's, that's just natural. Why? Because the pastor's responsible for everything. If somebody gets bumped into, he's responsible. You know, you'd be surprised I have to do a lot of counseling sometime, you know, and so you want to make sure that you, you know what's going on. And you know, there are very few times I may sit up here and I may look so dumb and ignorant as to what's going on. I usually know pretty well every move that's taking place. So I understand what it's all about, see. So please understand that I, I do have knowledge of what I'm talking about. But I'll tell you what, if you want to receive the Holy Ghost, you're just going to have to just totally blank your mind out and forget about who's back here and who's over there and who's doing this and who's doing that and your tongue's going to get a little thick. You remember when you speak with other tongues, you will not understand what you're saying. It's not going to sound like English. It's going to sound like Latin or, or Spanish or something. So don't try to control it. Just give yourself to the Lord altogether. And you will find that all of a sudden you're mixed up and you're confused. But this time you're not going to lick your lips. You're not going to hold your composure. You're going to submit yourself altogether to the Lord. And before you know it, you've already crossed over into the land of the Spirit. And you're speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives you utterance. It was not intended by God to be a difficult nor hard thing. It was meant to be simple and easy. To receive the Spirit of the Lord just means commitment of yourself to God. Now you need the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. If you've not received the Holy Ghost, then, then I just don't find any evidence in the Bible that if the trumpet were to blow tonight, just because you've been baptized in Jesus' name, and just because you've repented, that you will actually have the power to leave this world. I, I just can't, I can't find that in the Scripture. Praise God. But I believe that salvation, according to Acts 2.38, is repentance. What must we do, men and brethren? Peter stood and said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This promise is unto you. Praise God. Larry, you can receive it tonight. Praise God. You can. Praise God. Praise God. Brother Teddy, you can receive it tonight. You can. Praise God. And anybody else here who's not received the Holy Ghost, you can receive it tonight. Praise God. I feel liberty here, don't you? Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Now I'd like for everybody to stand, if you would, and... Right now our altar is open. If you've not repented of your sins, tonight's the time to do it. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, we've got a we got a big tank full of water. Praise God. If you've never received the Holy Ghost, uh, you can receive it tonight. Praise God. And if you come here to give your heart to the Lord, there are people all around you who'd like to gather with you and work with you and pray with you and 
encourage you and help you to receive the Holy Ghost. Praise God. We're going to sing the song, I've got the Holy Ghost down in my heart. Praise God. You know how the liberty we feel while we're around the baptismal tank? Praise God. Well, we're really around it. It's a little bit farther behind us here, but uh, praise God. And we're just going to, we're going to sing and we're going to worship the Lord. And if you want the Holy Ghost, just come and either kneel and stand. If you want to repent of your sins, well, come on and receive the Holy Ghost right now. Praise God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. All right. We've got an altar full of people already here. Praise God. Some of you come over here and kneel and pray with this young man. Hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Anybody else want to receive the Holy Ghost? Why don't you come here and give your heart to the Lord? Praise God. Praise God. Some of you come and pray for Brother Huber. He needs to receive the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I've got the Holy Ghost down in my soul. Just like the Bible says, I've got the Holy Ghost down in my soul. Just like the Bible says.